0: All right, we'll do it. Ah, oh, we're still good. You can all see me. Yeah, I might not be able to see you guys, but... Oh, it's so good to be here. How are you guys doing? Yeah. <clears throat> we have known Daryl and Lisa now since 1997. We are getting older, but uh, not old. Yeah, not old, it's not old yet. But, uh, but it is. We, we came in as a part of a new church plant in downtown Salt Lake City in 1997 and um, almost immediately after that, through a mutual friend, Ron Scarpa, I got connected to your prayer group that you guys held at uh, the Vineyard Church that you guys were hosting for years there. And we had such an awesome, awesome relationship that began to develop. Um, shortly after that, we went on our first missions trip together, Together, not missions trip, but uh, we ended up in, in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil with Randy Clark and uh, totally, totally wrecked us whew, there's some stories about that trip, I'm telling you, but uh, I think we had a real difficult time one night even getting off the elevator because God decided to fall in the elevator, so we, we ended up just staying there as it went <laughs> up and down. People would step over us and it was okay, but uh, yeah, but we have, we've been on quite a journey together, we've, we've just absolutely enjoyed watching what God has been doing in Salt Lake through Oasis Vineyard and, and it's just been a remarkable, remarkable time. Um, I wish my wife were here. Nancy is, is my better half. We have four kids together and and uh, four grandkids together now. That's that's pretty amazing. So, that's a whole new deal right there for grandparents. You guys know that, but man, alive, we never realized how good that was going to be. But uh, I am a little concerned. I left my wife up to Ogden to preach this morning, and I was checking online before I got up a minute ago because we live stream all of our services and and it's got the date and then a title for the sermon which is zombie land <laughs> I don't know what to expect when i get home to be honest with you with a title like that but uh, that's what she decided to call her message this morning so there it is but um man worship was amazing um, i was listening to this song um, I love the the line that you guys were singing, I am who you say I am, I'm a child of God. I'm telling you, if we were ever living in a time where we needed to know that, it's now. There's there's, there's one place I'm convinced that the enemy and God are synchronized together, which is almost like, how could that ever be that the enemy, Satan, and God, the Father, would be synchronized on any singular point? But it is true, they're, they're, they're aligned on this single issue. Both of them, Satan and God, are both asking the same question of you and I. Who do you think you are? From the viewpoint of Satan, he comes to us with a very accusatory tone that says, who in the world do you think you are? You're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. You're blah, 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 blah. All these things come from an accusation. And God the Father is asking the very same question from a plea that's saying, come on. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Who do you believe yourself to be? Who do you think you are? Because the Bible is really, really, really really clear. As a man thinks, so he is. What we think about ourselves really does matter. And I'm telling you right now that we're in a season right now where it's the most critical hour to to know who you are because the identity of who we are in Jesus Christ is the singular important issue of how well we will navigate these dark times. I'm not... I'm a victorious eschatology guy that believes that that we are going to see God do more and more and more as the end approaches. But I also believe that in in the same tension of that, there is an enemy who is coming with more and more force to try to undo and to mar the image of God in man. And so if we don't know who we are, we'll listen to that voice rather than the voice of the one that matters and the one who counts, who says, I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. All of that narrative will inform how we move and act and live and whether we live victoriously or whether we lived as a victim, honestly. And it's time for the church to arise out of victimhood into being a victor in everything that we do, whether it's inside of this building or out on the streets. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I've been praying for quite a while since you asked me to come. You put a lot of pressure to say we need a fresh outpouring, and then you said, and, you know, here I come. So thanks, my friend. It all rises and falls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the truth of the matter is that it's all about him or nothing happens anyway. So we're in, we're, we, we know who we're going to trust and we know who we're going to believe, so we're in pretty good shape. Because the truth of the matter is that the outpouring has already come. It's whether we are going to be walking in it. That's the big issue because I'm telling you, God is moving all over the planet right now in ways that we've never even thought possible. I'm telling you, when we got involved in this years ago, I, I had a kind of a dream list of what I would like to see, and that was surpassed years ago. I've been able to see and do more things in the spirit realm than I ever thought was even possible as a brand new believer or even as a seasoned believer several years after Bible college. And then, but, but all it's ever done to me to, to receive more and to do more is to create a more insatiable appetite to say, okay, there has to be more than this. Because the depths and the knowledge of figuring him out is so beyond anything that we could ever do, think, or dream of. You know, he is that Ephesians 3.20 promise exceedingly and abundantly more than we could dare to dream, hope, or even imagine. Come on. Yeah. Amen. He's exceedingly and abundantly more than you, than you your brain, your capacity has to, to, to the ability to think, dream, or even imagine. And I know that there's some pretty big imaginations in this room because I know some of you. <laughs> yeah. You do. You dream big things. And he says, I'm bigger than that. Amen. Yeah. And so what I'm declaring and what I believe God wants to do today is to set an appetite for the more to set, to set a, a hunger and a thirst inside of a people because God has always been willing to meet his people. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's just always been the guy who says, if you seek me, you'll find me. But I do know that there's a, there's a responsibility on the part of the body of Christ to push in, to place a demand on heaven so that heaven can come to the earth. The disciples are all twisted up out of shape and they're, they're saying, okay then, how do we pray? He says, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's the positional authority that we have to begin to declare from heaven to earth that the kingdom of heaven would come and to begin to transform every part of society and every trans- part of our, our daily lives and our family lives and, you know... <sighs> Just that he would be the center of everything. But it happens when we begin to to place a demand on heaven. Nothing happens unless it's first declared and decreed. The the, the word of the Lord says this, I do nothing on the earth without first first revealing it through my servants, the prophets. And so when we hear it, we need to speak it out. Because when we speak it out, we become part of the the tapestry of seeing things co-created on earth. Because we are echoing the frequency, the authority of heaven to the earth. And so if we can do anything today, what I would desire to do more than anything else would be to set an appetite for the more that would cause the inside of your life to just start getting a churning inside and out, just, oh, yes, Jesus, there has to be more. And you created me for more. Because when you begin to do that, you'll begin to speak things out. You'll begin to step out. I love what Randy Clark says years ago when we first there. He says, how do we spell faith? R-I-S-K? Faith begins to be released when you just simply get out of the boat. You don't know whether you're going to float or you're going to sink. You just have to get out and just give it a whirl. <laughs> Isaiah 22, 22 says that the keys of authority have been handed to you and I. Upon the shoulder, this key that has been dropped of authority for you and I to be able to walk out. And it gives us the authority of the believers to unlock things or to bind things. And it only happens when we begin to actually do that. You'll never see heaven move until you place a demand on heaven. So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. I will tell you just a little bit about myself as we kind of wrap into some things and there is a clock back there I can see it. That's good because uh, it's wrong. But... <laughs> yep, it is wrong. So yeah, maybe not. Yeah, so but uh, I just need my glasses cleaned apparently. But, uh... Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. I've got it right here. So, oh, yeah, my gosh. yeah, that. yeah. It's it's right twice a day. So. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I remember there was a season where has anybody ever have like numbers come up in your life? I'll, I'll get sidetracked pretty easily. Just watch me, you know. So, but I I remember we had these numbers coming up in our life where where we just kept seeing these numbers over and over again, and whether it's clock dials or you know. Digital faces on you know, and this 1111 kept coming up over and over, and just crazy, crazy occurrences. And we've got a good friend Ray Hughes. I called him up. I said, Ray, do you know anything about this number thing? He says, Oh, a little. I says, Well, I keep seeing this number 1111. What does that mean? He says, It means you look at your watch too much. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so, but, but yeah. But let me let me just dig in a little bit about kind of our history and my history and how how all of this began to percolate inside of me. Because from the very earliest of age, I grew up in a non-Christian home of just an absolute heathen, honestly. We, we had so much dysfunction on both sides of my family and growing up in an alcoholic home and just all kinds of stuff. And I, I learned how, a lot of coping mechanisms that were not very healthy, but I learned how to survive in the midst of all that. But one thing that did happen in the course of that is that while we were not a spiritual family, I probably remember going to church five times from the time I was born to the time I graduated high school. And while we were not yet really a spiritual family, there was a, in terms of church going, there was a real spiritual appetite on the part of my mother, and she would watch television programming. I remember as a little kid peeking my head around the corner one night, and Catherine Kuhlman was on. Anybody remember Catherine Kuhlman? Catherine Kuhlman was on, and she comes out in this white chiffon gown, you know. You know she's a weird duck. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. But she comes out, and she's, she's just kind of, and she says, you've been waiting for me. And... The truth of the matter was there was because Catherine Kuhlman was in the back of the, the auditorium behind a curtain, kneeled down on the floor, just crying out and weeping to God. says, God, if you're not with me, I'm not going out there. I don't carry anything. There's nothing I can do that will change anybody's life. If you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. And she would wait out there. And sure enough, the organ's playing. They just keep playing, 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 waiting for Catherine Kuhlman and until she felt the anointing fall in her life, and she would go. And I remember just being a little boy, seeing that the very first time. I said, boy, I want to do that someday. Didn't know Jesus from nobody, but I saw the miraculous, and it drew me in, and I said, I I want to do that someday. And then I got saved in a secular campus up in Casper, Wyoming, at a little junior college, and God really wrecked my life. I got saved in the most tremendous spiritual warfare event I'd ever been in my life. There was like a thousand demons. I could see them with my natural eyes spinning around in the room. I was just living large and doing everything crazy you could think of, and... I end up with these demons in the middle of the room shouting into the middle of the night saying, go ahead, do it, kill yourself, just get it over with, you're not worth anything anyway. And I remembered a few stories and I said, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to save me right now. And he just, he came into the room and a thousand demons flew out and I got saved in the middle of the night in dorm rooms on a Saturday night at one o'clock in the morning. It was absolutely the most remarkable thing that I've ever been through. I got delivered of alcohol in a single moment. I wasn't just a casual drinker. I was a complete drunk by the time I was 13 years old and, 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 and just drank every day. I didn't drink to drink. I drank because I needed to drink. You know what I'm saying? And so I got delivered that night. Never, I never had an, 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 even a desire for it. The Lord says, hey, that might be okay for some people, but it's not going to be okay for you. You need to never touch that again. I said, yes, sir. And that was in 1982 till now. And so I tried one time, and uh, it tasted like bilge water. I'm, I'm telling you the honest truth. I put it up to my lips, took a swallow it, and it tasted like the grossest thing I'd ever had in my mouth. I didn't even swallow it. I spilled it out, you know. I said, oh, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just saying when God saves you and he delivers you, he can really do it to the very, very uttermost of your whole life. And so it's, all of this stuff began to set insatiable desires. I got saved, and then I went into a, a, a cessationist church of all places. And I, the problem with a cessationist church and a guy who's brand new saved who got saved in a, out of demonic encounters is that when they read the Bible, they believe it's true. And so I began to read the Bible, and it says, hey, if there be any sick among you, you can go ahead and get the elders, James, you know, anoint them with oil, pray over them the prayer of faith, they'll get well. So I went up to one of our, our deacons at the church that day, and after church I'd read this, and I said, hey, when do we get to do this stuff? He said, what stuff? I said, well, I was reading last night. If there's anybody sick, I see a lot of sick people. Can we pray for them? He said, oh, brother, I'm sorry, but that doesn't happen anymore. And I uh, my, my spirit just like got crushed. I'm going, oh, no way. And I, but but it, it, it didn't dampen me because I knew that what he was saying, what the Bible said were two different things and I chose to believe the Bible. Amen. And so that began to set that journey for me when we began to... And so it wasn't long I got the left foot of fellowship from that church because I... Some of you know what that means. I didn't, honestly, I was so naive in renewing the Lord I didn't know I was getting kicked out. Now, that's a lot of skill on the part of the senior pastor because he comes up to me and says, Hey, brother. He said, I, I want to tell you. He says, Man, I really, really love you. He says, But, but I th- I've been thinking. There's this church across town. I think you would be a great fit for them. I said, Really? Yeah, they, they, they believe in that tongue talking and that stuff that you're doing. I think, Oh, thank you so much for telling me. Yeah, he was moving me out, you know. but. But it really was a promotion, and so that's the way that the the journey went, you know. Yeah, I got kicked out and didn't even know it. I still call him just about every year to thank him. (laughs) No, we're really good friends. He is a wonderful brother, and it's true. I would have torn up that place with what I was going after because it would have been divisive in the vision that they carried. And so it was was the best thing he could have done for me and probably the best thing he could have done for his church because I was crazy on fire. And, uh, and so there was this appetite for always to have more of the supernatural in my life. It just always, from the very beginning of my life, I just absolutely knew that we were created for power. We were created to walk in power. We were created to walk in authority. And so I began to push into that, like I said, and, and, and to various degrees. But one of the things that was a fallacy in my life that I began to adopt as a, theolo- as a theological mindset was that God did all of that stuff through the superheroes of the faith, you guys know what I'm talking about. The, the men and women of power. You know, they used to advertise it in the 50s. Come and see the man of power for the hour. You know? And so you get this whole thing that these are these great, great, you know, monumental men and women of faith who carry a special anointing to be able to go do signs, wonders, and miracles. And quite honestly, the model that we had seen through the 1950s and through the 40s and through all the way through the ages had been demonstrated of just that very thing because there wasn't a successive line of anointing that was transferred from that generation to the generations around them. There was no schools of supernatural ministry and schools of supernatural healing. You went to go see one guy and you stood in hours hoping that but by chance, just like, just like the man who, who waited for the water to be disturbed or waiting for something to happen so that you might be able to get in on some anointing that would heal your life. And so I adopted this thing that it only happened through special people, through super people, super Super spiritual people. And it was, what what, what you believe, you'll get, is what I'm saying. And so if you assimilate into your life unhealthy theology or unhealthy belief systems, you'll you'll fulfill exactly what you believe. That's how we end up with whole movements who walk in cessationism, because they've decided because it didn't happen in their church, their way, in their place, that God isn't doing it anymore. And they lower... The, the, the standard of, of, of what the Word says theologically down to their experiential level so they begin to act out of their experience rather than the, the, the preemptive word of what the Word says. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Well, I didn't see him, so God's not doing that anymore. No, you're just not doing that anymore, right? And so that was the, the journey that I began to, to accept is that, okay, God does that I met a young, am I okay just tell some stories? That's probably what I'm going to do until tonight. We're going to dig into some stuff. But I met a car salesman. I was going to Bible college, and I was in a Pentecostal Bible college that believed all this stuff theologically, but we didn't see much of it very practically. I'm telling you, if you have a belief system that believes in the supernatural, but you're not seeing it in actual form and being birthed out of your life as an outflow, it will be death to your faith. It's like a downward spiral where you just start spiraling out of control, you know, because you know, what, what good does a theological concept do that says God's powerful if you never see it ap- actually operating in your life? And so that's what I began to experience. And then I met this car salesman who had been this wild evangelist who used to go across Indian reservations all across the South. His name was Joe. Joe got out of the car business because he couldn't afford to stay on the mission field in the Indian reservation. So he started selling cars and he became very successful and didn't go on the inner reservations anymore, which was, I think, a trap. But he opened up a photo album one day. This person was blind and can now see. This person was crippled and can now walk. This person, you know, had cancer, and we saw the cancer tumor fall off. Here's a picture of the cancer tumor that fell off. And he just took me on this journey of years and years of supernatural ministry, and I said, oh, you've got to help me. <laughs> and I says, is that for everybody? Oh, yeah, it's for everybody. I said, lay hands on me. He laid hands on me, and we, we saw a few things happen. I remember I was standing in front of a congregation in Galena, Kansas, which is incidentally where a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit was blown up after Azusa Street outpouring, and I'm standing in this little church, about 100 people in it, and, and uh, this one lady, she wasn't gonna be um, squelched at all. She came up she wanted prayer, and I'm thinking, well, I'll pray for you later, and she said, no, you're gonna pray for me now, son. You know, she's 80 years old. <laughs> I said, okay, ma'am, you, you, you're queen for the day. We'll do whatever you want. And so I prayed for her, and right before my eyes, I'm praying for her. And um, she had cataracts so bad, you couldn't even see the color of her eyes. It was just white. And while I'm praying for her, all the color started coming back in her eyes, and she was completely healed. Who yeah. Now I've tasted. Yeah. And once you taste, it sets an appetite in you for more and more and more. And so we piddled around seeing an occasional miracle, but we didn't know that we could have a breakthrough to actually walk in the miraculous power until we went to Brazil with Randy Clark. I'd been in the ministry now for probably 10 years up until that point, full-time ministry. And then we went to Brazil with Randy Clark we weren't even supposed to be able to go honestly Ron Scarpa is to blame Ron said hey do you want to go to Brazil I said sure he says well I got a buddy pass you can go with me he said I don't know who he is but we're going little did we know that Randy had just come out of the fresh fire outpouring in Toronto and this was his first missions trip that he took into Brazil on a prophetic word that he was supposed to go into Brazil and see Brazil blow up with revival and so we went Ron Daryl and me. And over the next 10 days, we saw 6,000 physical healings. There were more physical healings that I prayed for than I could keep track of. I had a little tape recorder. I was recording as many as I could because there was no way I could even keep track of it. There was just healing after healing after healing. There was a lady with a big old tumor in her belly. We didn't know it until afterwards, honestly, because she, they, they prayed for her, and, and she began to laugh hysterically, and she... They carried her out of the building laughing hysterically. That's all we knew. She got touched by God laughing. She goes home in the middle of the night. Her husband, who's an unbeliever, he sees her laughing. She's still out of control, and he shuts all the the windows and the shutters because he doesn't want to let the neighbors know that his wife has gone crazy. She laughs for another hour in the middle of the night, and then she throws up a tumor the size of a grapefruit. We know it was the size of a grapefruit because she brought it back in a bucket the next day said, here, see what God did. I saw a little boy nine years old. I don't know you remember. There was a, there was a, a missionary down there that's gathered up all these street kids and he was gathering these street kids together. And so he's just taking them from meeting to meeting with Randy and he literally rescued them off. They're homeless. He rescued them off the street and he's given them the kingdom. And, and so he takes a little nine-year-old into the meeting and there's a guy that's needing prayer. And he grabs this nine-year-old and says, you want to pray? Nine-year-old walks up, and he pulls a sucker out of his mouth and lays hands on this guy and says, Be healed in the name of Jesus. He's saying it in Portuguese. I don't know what that means in Portuguese, but a lot like Spanish, but different. <laughs> see, that? See, I'm a linguist, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So he prays for him. He didn't even know what he was praying for, and the man inside of a few minutes has both eyes opened up. He's been blind since birth. In perfect form as a nine-year-old, he, he, he says... Cool. (laughs) Sticks the sucker back in his mouth and walks off, as if just another day in the kingdom. Just another day in the kingdom. I was with a group of people, and this this frantic woman came up and just tapped us on the shoulder. She says, can you come pray for my mom? I said, yes, we'll go pray. Where's she at? Well, she's in the back of this building down this big, long corridor, and it's, it's literally almost completely dark, just darker than this room, just hardly any light in it at all. Here's this woman in there, she's, she's sitting in a chair all by herself, and she's sitting just rocking back and forth, just weeping. What we found out is she had stage four brain tumor cancer, and it was so conflicting everything, they couldn't operate, inoperable tumor, and it's hurt, hurting her so bad, optically any light would just throw her into crazy, crazyville, with pain, and she's just rocking in so much pain she can't stand it. We went in, we just barely laid hands on her and began to pray, and inside of a few minutes she begins to, you can feel the Lord drop into her life, and she begins to experience God's love, she begins to laugh, and she begins to laugh more, and she begins to laugh more, and pretty soon she says, the pain is 100% gone. I'm I'm healed. We didn't know yet whether she was or not, but she went and got the MRIs done the next day to prove it. No more tumor. This stuff began to happen with such frequency, we couldn't even keep track of it. 6,000 healings in 10 days of some of the most crazy things that you could ever imagine or crazy things that you could ever see just over and over and over and over again. And who was it happening with? It was happening with people like me in the ministry, which I I thought that was good. But it was also happening with doctors and it was also happening with, with people who were plumbers and people who were teachers and people who were tax collectors and people who were, you know, just all the whole gamut of humanity was there. 50 of us were on that team together with Randy that day. And what I learned that day is that it isn't just for special people, it's for the whosoever will believe people. And these signs will follow those that believe. And so God is proving himself to show himself strong to those who would believe, and, and it just completely shifted everything for me from that time till this time. It's, it's been one of the central themes, but it, it's, it's shifting even yet because that should be the expected normal for every person on the planet who's a believer in Jesus Christ is that we walk with power. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit falls upon you and you'll be my witnesses then in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Power. Huh. It's, it's that word dunamis where we get the word dynamite out of it. You'll receive that kind of explosive Demonstrable power. Paul said to the church, He says, he says I, I, I didn't come to you. When I came to you, I didn't come to you with anything eloquent, my own words, my own things, my own ability. What I came to you with was a clear demonstration. Everybody say demonstration. I came with clear demonstrations of the presence and power of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That this gospel that we carry isn't just about word, it's about deed. In, in the book of Acts, when he opens up, the author says, "In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus both said and did." What does it mean? It's show and tell. <laughs> that when we carry the kingdom, there's an expectation that we demonstrate the kingdom. Because I promise you, if we're going to see revival fire burn through a region, it will because it will be because people demonstrate the goodness and the wonder of God. You and I, you and I, not just. Leadership, you and I, every person that says their name Jesus, owe the world around them. You owe the world around, around yourself an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't come with just the gospel message of hope, it comes with a demonstration that proves that He is really who He says He is. Isn't that amazing? We carry Him. I'm a carrier of His presence, I'm a carrier of His goodness. I'm a carrier of his love and a carrier of his glory so that wherever I go, he goes, Jesus himself said this. He says, all. Everybody say all. all. It's a good word. It means? All. All. You can slice it and dice it into, into the Greek, whatever you want to do. It just means ex- inclusively everything. He said this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you when? To the very end of the age. He leaves a mandate to go. And he says, all authority. That's a unique word because it's not dunamis. Now it's exousia is the word in the Greek. This exousia power and authority that comes is a demonstrable partnership with the divine, if that makes sense to you. It is the thing that's probably captivated my heart right now more than anything is to be able to know because the power of God is just a given. Each one of us should walk in power. It, it, it's not even, it shouldn't even be second nature to us. It should be first nature. What am I? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, therefore I walk in power. All, you shall receive power. You shall, you will it's an imperative. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses. That should be the common thing for every single one of us and that's why I'm here to kind of set an appetite in you because if that's not who you are, it's who you should become. Yeah. If that's not who we are, then but, but there's something greater than power because power is that thing that comes with the anointing and the anointing will rest upon every single believer. What's your name? Mina. What? Mina. Mina. I was looking at you earlier. You want me to tell you what I think? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you're better than you think. Yeah, honestly, one of the, God said, tell her that she's better than she thinks. What the enemy's doing to try to twist things around in your mind and, and to try to rob things out of your heart, that's just absolutely not the truth. You are absolutely better than you think. Here's the other thing I, I, I believe with everything in me is that you've been given a strong prophetic unction inside of your life to begin to declare and decree the oracles of God, the, the good things of God, the, the promises of God. There's a prophetic anointing inside of you that God is going to really, really begin to turn the dial of, of up on in terms of intensity. Dreams, visions, angelic visitations, all of that coming your way. And so, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. I bless you. Yeah, you carry some good juice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here's what I... Th- it was funny. I get weird weird pictures. I guess kind of like my wife with Zombieland, but I, I, I kept hearing this word. The anointing is strong on that one. The power is strong on that one. You yeah. <laughs> know, yeah, so... Yeah. 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 But anointing, that's where I was at. Anointing will fall and rest on any person who says yes to Jesus, but it, it comes for a purpose and a place. But the authority is different than anointing because authority can only... Anointing happens because we said yes to Jesus. Authority happens because we nurture intimacy with Jesus. Who, That has been like the thing that's wrecked me more than anything else in the whole world right now is how do I get to know him better? The fact of the matter is, is God's looking for sons and daughters who will be able to take over the family business. <sighs> looking for those The eyes of the Lord searching to and fro throughout the whole world, looking, longing, searching for the ones who he can lay his anointing upon, his trust in. One one translation says to those, he says "He'll, he'll, he'll, he'll get all of heaven will come to their aid to support them in whatever they choose to do. That comes with not just an anointing of power, that comes because we're in relational connection that's so great that we are trusted as friends. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. What does that mean? He said, I used to call you servants, but now I call you what? Friends. A master doesn't show the secret things of a business or the things with a slave. He only shows those to our children or those who are our friends, those who are guaranteed an inheritance. And once we said yes to Jesus, we moved from the land of being outside of the camp, of maybe being... I know a lot of people who serve God, but they're not friends with God. A lot of us got in the struggle of serving God out of a place of... of of needing, honestly, to to, to try to earn our way into heaven. We adopted a system of works rather than a system of grace, thinking that if we just worked hard enough that we would somehow earn his favor, but it doesn't come through our work. It comes through our friendship and our intimacy of love. I know a lot of people toiling up on the performance wheel, just running, performing my way, performing my way. The problem with performance is that what you earn through performance, you have to maintain through performance, and so around and around and around we go. Doing all the good stuff, doing all the things. Called it Christianity, we called it church, we've called it everything. But it's, and it's not that it's bad, it's just not the best thing. That's why in Matthew chapter 24, the, the Lord himself says, you know, there'll be many on that day who will say, but Lord, Lord... Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we feed the poor? Didn't we visit the people? All this stuff. And he says, yep, you did everything, all of that. But your hearts were what? Far from me. I never knew you. Knowing as in face-to-face, knowing as in intimacy. And that's the big struggle and the big thing that I think, not the struggle, it is the big thing that God's after more than anything else right now, is that we would know him as a man knows another face to face, that you would know him. Because when you know him, you get to act on his behalf as a co-laborer, a co-heir, a co-ruler with Jesus. And it's not that we become God, but we are, we are literally sons and daughters of the king in a kingdom. And when we are kingdom kids, we get to represent the one who sent us. Paul said you have become an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That means you carry an ambassador authority to be able to represent the kingdom the way that God represents it. It's an interesting thing, if I go over to, to some place and I become the ambassador for the United States into the nation of you know, Spain, for instance. They'll set up an embassy, that soil, by agreement, becomes the property of the United States and it carries all of the rules and regulations of the United States, so that if I'm traveling and I go do something stupid, I can run into the embassy as a U.S. citizen and I'm safe, I'm secure in that embassy. But that ambassador also carries what the, the term is explanatory. Ah, I forget it. It doesn't make any difference. It's a tongue twister, it's a big long word. It means this He carries authority that means that he gets to act just like the king or just like the nation from which he is serving. So he carries presidential authority, basically, when he's an ambassador in that nation. Now he's still under rule and authority, he still has to answer an account, but he carries that kind of weight as an ambassador. And this is the kind of language that Paul uses when he calls you, therefore we are Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his very plea, his appeal through you and I. So that wherever we go, we carry with us the weight and the authority of heaven. It is that authority, like it was said on on, on Isaiah 22, to unlock and to bind and to loose. And So you and I begin to move out. We get to declare and decree the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the joy of God. There's an authority so that wherever I go, I'm a carrier of Him. So when I walk, it's like if I could see in the Spirit, it would be like a Holy Spirit fire imprint of ownership. Do you get that? Whew, this belongs to Jesus. This one belongs to Jesus. Why? Because we're there to completely shift the culture and the the, the places that we go. I got to check and see. We're still doing good. Does it make sense? God is is retooling the the church to look like him instead of just to work for him. We're in partnership. I don't know why, honestly, because I've seen some of the things I've done and I'm like, Jesus, you could have done better. (laughs) Obviously. And he's saying, yep, I finally found a people weak enough I can work through. You don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed or carry the most you know, intellectual horsepower. You just have to be one who said, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And I'm here to walk and demonstrate that out onto the planet Earth. So all of these things begin to just really percolate. And the insatiable desire began to set in me. And we, we, I, I'm just a guy that, that if I see it once, I feel like it's supposed to be mine. Is anybody else like that? I, I mean... Not like it totally in the material, although sometimes that too. It's, like, it's not like this unholy, ungodly jealousy or envy, but there is such a thing as godly jealousy. And when I see things that other people walk in in terms of the supernatural, I just say, well, if Jimmy got it, Shannon ought to get that. And I remember years ago, I remember this guy named David Hogan. Does anybody hear of him down in Mexico? A missionary, crazy guy in Mexico. He's been down there forever now. But this was back after the Brownsville Revival broke out in 1990. 5 fathers day 1995 and they had him in as a guest in 1996 i think at that time david hogan gave a claim that they had seen over 600 people raised from the dead in mexico i mean that's pretty pretty big bold claim and i'm thinking i want to see some proof because i'm that guy too you know so but sure enough they began telling stories and one, one of them was just absolutely stunning, about a, two young girls that, um, who, they had an epidemic come through. There was some sort of a famine through Mexico, and it killed just a whole bunch of people. There were so many people being, that, that were succumbing to this sickness or disease that they had an open grave, and they were just bringing bodies. You had to bring a body, and you had to put it in and cover it up, and then they'd have a 50-pound bag of lye, and you'd have to cover it because they were trying to keep the disease down. That's how bad it was, and... This one mama had lost both of her daughters, but she'd heard about David Hogan. David Hogan is a full day's walk away, so she gets her two kids because the the community's mandating, you've got to put your kids and get, you know, we're trying to squelch this thing. She's got them in an open grave buried with lye, but she decided to make a night trip, and she walked all night to go see David Hogan. She got there and found David Hogan praying. She says, would you please come? He says, not till after I'm done praying. (laughs) He wasn't, wasn't going to be moved by somebody's need. He, he tried to mandate. So he's, he says, when we get done praying, we'll go. So that's, she, they died. She walked, that's day one. She gets there, they're praying. That's day two. It's another day back. So now they've been dead for three days. They go to the open grave and mama finds where they're at and they drag them up out of the open grave and put them And David gets down in between both of them puts one hand on each of them and begins to pray. The supernatural resurrection life of Jesus Christ come back into these girls and almost simultaneously, both girls just <gasps> came fully alive, sat up out of the lie, wiped all the lie out of their face. David, with just tears streaming down his face as he's telling the story, he says, he says, he looked to the woman, he says, Ma'am, I give to you your daughters, raised back through the hope and glory of Jesus Christ. I heard that story in 1996, and it set something inside of me that says, I'm not going to be satisfied till I see the dead raised. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8 puts it this way. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. For freely you receive, freely give. And so we'd seen a few healings, so I was really confident in that. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Because we've driven out demons. (laughs) Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And so that was my mandate for a long time because I'd never seen anything, but I just kept going after it. Every time we'd see somebody, and I'd, I'd, I'd be the guy that would pull over to autorex, you know, and just jump out there and find out what's going on. Are they dead? Well, we're dead or alive. We were going to see them healed or, or resurrected, but I prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and, and every time I walked away with my head down saying, oh, Jesus, how come? You said, you said we'd heal the sick. You said we'd raise the dead. How come I'm not seeing the dead raised? And I just kept going voraciously after it, whether they were in the hospital. I prayed for people who were 95 and needed to go to heaven, but I wanted to bring them back. <laughs> you know it's selfish prayers I'm telling you but I wanted to see this thing I remember one of my really good friends he's 83 years old he'd been like a father to me when, since we came to Utah and he died and I went to his house and, and I missed my friend you know and this is I fast forwarding. we'd, we'd already seen some resurrections but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in his room and I'm, I'm just grieved like crazy over my 83 year old friend who lost his life and and, and here's the problem. Like, I've seen a lot of death faces, you know, when people die and they're like contorted and gross and the most ugly thing you ever want to be around, you know. This guy's grinning. He's laying in bed just as happy as a lark, grinning. It's like Jesus came and he said, yep, I'm ready. And, and so I'm having the conversation with Jesus and I'm saying, Jesus, do I have permission to go get my friend back? And I I was waiting for the response, and I didn't hear Jesus' voice. I heard the voice of my friend, which really started me, startled me, and he says, "Jim, he, he speaks right back up in my mind." You know, he says, "Now, why would you want to do that, you big dummy?" <laughs> I said, "Okay," but I, but it was set. The hook was set for us to see this thing, and then lo and behold, I end up getting this job at a hospital up in Ogden as a chaplain. I didn't want to be a chaplain. To be honest with you, I'm not the most pastoral person in the whole world. I'm just being real fair. I pastor a church, but like the pastoral gifting, if you were to look at like the fivefold, it's like way down here someplace. That's why we have to have a lot of people who know how to do that really well. But I also had three kids in Bible school. And so I needed money. (laughs) And so I I take this job because it fits my schedule. Everything's good. Next thing you know, I'm being called into trauma one center stuff where there's all these people who are coming in who either expired on the road in a car wreck, blah blah blah. All this stuff happening, and I'm praying for more people to be resurrected now than I ever even. I thought. I've just fallen into a candy store from, you know, <laughs> because I'm not trying to be crude or anything, but I'm telling you this: if you want to raise the dead, you're going to be have to be around dead people, you know. And so I thought, well, look at this—they're paying me to pray for people, and so. So I was praying for everybody and and we were having a service one night and um, I had a pager and the pager went off and they said, you need to come to the hospital. And as soon as it went off, the Lord says, you need to start praying right now. This is about a young infant. And so I'm praying and I get on my motorcycle. I drive to the hospital. I go to the head charge nurse. I say, what's going on? She says, there's an infant that's been brought in 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 trauma curtain one that um, had a crib death. They don't know exactly how long that this child was down when the parents found him. But the father worked. it was an EMT. He worked on the child for 20 minutes before he brought her in. And then we've been working on him for another 50 minutes. No heartbeat, no respiration. They're just getting ready to call it. Why don't you go in and meet this family? Whew. Oh, my heart is sinking because I, I don't even want to go face this family. But I, I remember walking up to the curtain, and I, I, it, it, there was no big, you know, spiritual authority thing. It was just desperation and it was brokenness. And if you see the way Jesus moved in, everything that he ever did, everything was driven out of compassion. When he sees a city that doesn't know him, he weeps over them because he says they're like they're like lost sheep who have lost their way and they don't have hope. But I walked up and I grabbed a hold of the curtain. I said in the name of Jesus and I pulled it open and as soon as I got the curtain about right here, this baby came alive. Oh wow. Whew. Completely, completely resurrected. And it freaked everybody out. It freaked me out. It freaked the nurses out, the doctors out. Everybody's bawling. I mean, they're just bawling inside of this room. Doctors, nurses, parents, everybody. And so that was the first resurrection that we saw. And, and it was, I mean, there's nothing greater than to see that little baby handed back to her mom and daddy, completely aware, completely, you know, a, a few months later I was up there and I, I had responsibility of going through the ICU intensive care unit and to go pray for people and I'd, I'd make my rounds real early about 5 30 or 6 in the morning and I just go through the whole unit just praying for people and I'm I don't even know what I'm praying for because I don't have their charts I don't have the ability to know all that I just walk in and lay hands on them and I'm praying so I pray for people and a few days later about a week later honestly because I didn't work there every day I walked into the intensive care unit again on an early morning, and the charge nurse that was there, she comes up and she grabs a hold of me and she's shaking me. Shannon, I've been looking for you. Where have you been? I said, I don't work here every day. I thought I was in trouble, honestly, because I did stuff that I shouldn't have done, but it's the truth. I mean, it's a it's a Catholic hospital, and they said, hey, you know, go pray for people. I figured that should include Jesus. They didn't. They didn't think that apparently. But so anyway, she's grabbing hold of me, shaking me, and she says you know? And I I said, what's going on? She says, do you remember that lady in 601 that you prayed for last week? I said, no. (laughs) Fill me in. So she began to describe what the lady looked like, the room that she was in. I said, oh yeah, I remember her. And um, she said, do you know what was wrong with her? I said, I don't have a clue. She said, well, she was hooked up to life support. She was completely brain dead. And they were scheduling her that afternoon for organ donation. So this is at 6 o'clock in the morning. They've got her scheduled for 2 o'clock surgery to harvest all of her organs. They're only keeping her alive because there is no brain activity. She said, as soon as you walked out of the room, she said, all the buzz and and whistles started going off on her stuff. She had sat up, she pulled her intubation tube out, and she says, I'm hungry. Could somebody feed me? I call that a drive-by resurrection. (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is that I had no idea what I was praying for. All I know is that I've been praying and sowing into the value that Jesus is a God who raises the dead. And I've been praying it over, at that time, probably 50 people. And so, (laughs) we're loaded. You're loaded. You carry authority. You carry power. You carry anointing. And the biggest challenge for any of us is just to take a risk to do it. I mean, I'm telling you, there's nothing more scary than to walk into a room full of doctors, nurses, and all of the highbrows and to say, excuse me, but would you mind if I pray a prayer that God would save this child? About six months later, we were standing in the same trauma one center when a child came in who was three and a half years old who had drowned in a swimming pool. His parents were drug addicts. They were off in, in the house with a big, big, huge party. The kid had stumbled out and fell into the pool, couldn't get out and drowned. They have no idea how long that kid was down. But he was brought into the hospital by AirMed, AirFlight brought him in. And so there we are. The parents are still coming down off of a crazy, crazy high and it is the most horrific scene I've ever seen in my life with parents who are screaming and this father screaming, get up you ever, get up. And he's just using everything that you can imagine. And, and, of course, everything that's right to the surface is just boiling out of him. And it is the worst thing I've ever seen. Prior to that, we'd been in a, a time of intercession and worship, and we'd been just soaking into prayer for, for days and days and days. And one of the songs that just really began to resonate with my heart, I don't even know who, who does it, honestly, but it's this song. Uh, it might be Tor Waltz. When you walk into the room, everything changes. It says, when you walk into the room speaking to Jesus, everything changes. The dead begin to rise because there's resurrection life in all you do. That's one of the main lines. And so all of this is going on. It's a mad, chaotic order in that place. And I'm going, how in the world do I even get in there? Because there's like, it's full. That room is full of personnel who are trying to get this life back. And they've been working on it. They're getting ready themselves to call the time. They've done everything. They've put every bit of medication on that kid that you can imagine to try to get things resurrected, and get his heart pumping again nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm saying, Jesus, just let me in the room. And I remember slipping around the back corner and sitting down in a chair, finding a place. And I just begin to rock. And this song begins to rise up and resonate in me. And I'm just saying, when he walks into the room, everything changes. The dead begin to rise because there's resurrection life in all you do. And I just kept singing the line over. I'm not singing it loud. I'm singing it just to myself and singing it out into the airway, speaking it out. I said, Jesus, everything changes when you walk into the room. Would you walk into this room? Everything's different when you come. Everything changes. And then in a moment, I hear a head male nurse. He's saying, hey, we have a heart rhythm. Whew. Life had come back into a three-year-old and the boy that had been down for I don't know how long. Within moments, he was lucid. He was he's, he was tracking. He's, in, he's he's they've got him intubated, so he can't talk. But he's like responding, and he's blinking, and he's communicating with mom and dad. And and all I'm telling you is is that this is the stuff that the world is dying for, and hungry for, and waiting for for a people who will just step into the pocket in the moment. It's not about you know being all super spiritual crazy all the time. It's about being available to say. I'm going to risk looking stupid to see something miraculous happen. I remember what it looked like as well with another little baby that had died and I remember this family sitting there just weeping like crazy and I'm saying, hey, if I know that you guys have, because they had already done everything. They've got this baby wrapped up. They've taken impressions for for a memorial for this kid with her feet and and, and all this and this this mama has just got this baby just wrapped up and just just rocking and just weeping and weeping and weeping. And I've got to go in and talk to these folks. And I said, listen, I said, I don't know what your faith perspective is. I just know that I've seen God do some amazing things. And would it be okay? Would it be okay before we have the folks from the mortuary come, would it just be okay to pray for your baby that God might resurrect? Your child. And I watched a mom just in brokenness say, yeah, that would be wonderful. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And then I had to watch the mortician come and take that child to the mortuary. And I'm saying, Jesus, that ain't right. (laughs) It worked here. Why didn't it work here? I don't know. We live in tension all I know is that my responsibility doesn't change. I have to pray for the one who doesn't get healed. I remember in, in, we went to Ukraine with Randy Clark and we prayed for a kid. That he had one of those tumors that grew off the side of his face. It's dragging down here. His whole face is contorted around to the side and we prayed for him for, for two days. We had people constantly praying for that kid, praying for his mom for two days and I'll never ever forget what it felt like to get back on the bus and to drive to the next city without that kid being healed. Randy Clark said it this way, he says, you, if you're going to have a healing ministry, you'll have to walk, learn to walk in the thrill of victory, but you'll also have to know what it's like to walk in the agony of defeat. We're not God. But we're here to demonstrate Him. And we're here to love people even when it doesn't work. Not to try to explain it away, not to try to down, downplay our, our theological importance or, or our theological framework. We can't just say, well, God... That was God's will for him. Not We don't know that. I'm, I believe it's God's will to heal everyone personally. But I, I won't try to explain when it doesn't happen. I'll just keep my love on when it doesn't. And I'll celebrate when it does. But we're here to change things up, and to do things that are crazy powerful and anointed. And it's a gift given to every person who said yes. And it's available just for you to, to have if you'll just go out and risk you don't have to know what you're doing. Some of the greatest miracles we've ever seen for people that didn't know anything about what they were doing. They just believed. Oh, we're supposed to do this. Okay. Let's pray. And why is it important? Because when we show the world around us what demonstrations of signs, wonders, and miracles look like, it will awaken them to the love of God and the heart of God. It's not always a guarantee. Last story, and I'm going to call for some prayer here, man. We had a lady in our church that came in through alcohol and and actually it was through meth addiction and she came through our recovery group. She's completely messed up all of her joints because that meth will tear up all of your joints and give you into premature arthritis. Her elbow joints are messed up, her teeth are messed up, everything's messed up. Her right elbow had become so bad that they took and cut her whole elbow joint out and put an artificial joint in, titanium. And then she came to to church because um, She says, could you pray for my elbow? She said, I had infection set in. They had to take this titanium joint. Well, she didn't even tell them all that. She just said, pray for my elbow. We found this out after the story. So the ladies in our recovery group, they said, yeah, we'll pray for you. So they pray for her. They don't even know what's going on. She goes home later that night, and she's awakened in so much pain, she thinks it's the infection set back in. And she's she's just rocking in a corner, just, 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 ah, Jesus, 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 Jesus. She's saying... And then she finally gets back to sleep. She wakes up at about 5.30 or 6 in the morning, and all of the pain is gone, 100% gone. She says, oh, thank you, Lord. But she also knows something else feels different, and she feels down here, and there's bone where there wasn't bone. She told the story later. They had cut the titanium joint out, so all that was holding her her arm together here was ligament and skin. She was in a, a sling. That's what our ladies prayed for, ligament and skin. And they sent her home. When she came back to me the next morning to tell me what had gone on, she had just come from the doctor's office. She came with a full set of x-rays. She said, here's my x-rays. Here's what my arm looked like before the surgery with, with all the arthritis. Here's what it looked like with the new titanium. Here's what it looked like after they took nothing, all of it out because they wanted to check all the surfaces for the, for the bone joint. And then here's the last set of x-rays where God had given her a brand new elbow. Yeah, completely, completely brand new. It's, it was stunning. There wasn't even modeling marks, like you know, when you break a bone, you'll, you'll see a scar. None of that. It was like it never even existed. Just a complete brand new elbow. She also came in a, a few weeks later. She says, I'm so glad that God healed my arm. She said, I've been wanting to have a baby. Would you guys pray that I could have a baby? And they said, Sure. So they prayed for her. She didn't tell them that she'd had a full hysterectomy a few years earlier. <laughs> This is no joke, I'm telling you. No joke. A full hysterectomy. They pray for her. (sighs) She comes back weeks later. She says, you're never going to believe what happened. God's given me a baby and filled my womb with this baby. And then she told them the rest of the story. And the people who were praying say, oh, man. (laughs) Honestly, too much information will ruin your faith sometimes. (laughs) It really is the truth. Too much information. And so... I would love to tell you that that woman is still serving the Lord today, but it's like she walked in and punched the the, the ticket and got her miracle, and then she went out and she started living life the the same way that she lived before. We, we, We buried her about five years ago. So miracles are not a guarantee that people will follow, but they sure are a good indication of His love for people. We need them. You need to be doing them. But you need... Honestly, if we're going to get to it, we need to start walking in just a passion and a hunger for Him. I spent a lot of time consumed by the issue of power, signs, wonders, miracles. I mean, my wife was like, are you ever going to get off this theme? You know, because we're trying to lead a church. There's more than just miracles. I said, no, there's not. There's not. We're here to be demonstration of power. Yeah, but people need to know their love, too. That would be good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But I, I have been. I think that miracles, signs, wonders, and power should just be the natural byproduct of being in love with Jesus. Amen. And so I don't work on try to do miracles anymore. I work on being in love. Because if I'm in love, I'll carry His heart. If I'm in love, I'll be bold when I don't want to be. I'll push my way into conversations that feel really, really uncomfortable and really awkward, but I'll do it anyway because I'm in love. And so I start representing him, representing Jesus Christ as a joint heir, a co ruler with him. Yeah. That'd be good. So we're here to stir up passion. We're here to stir up hunger. Quite honestly, we're here to stir up a commitment from some who are in this room who have been playing around with the idea of God, but you've never fully embraced him. You know about him, but you don't know him. And for you, that, that's really easy. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is to invite him in, and he'll just flood your soul and your spirit, just like he did in my room where he drove out a thousand demons that night. He'll flood in that way, and he'll fill you to an overflow to where you just can't even believe that he could be that good and that real. And so if that's you, just even right now while we're talking, just say Yes. Say, Jesus, I don't know about all this stuff. I just know I want that feeling and I want that experience and I want that encounter and I want to have the weight of my sin forgiven. I want to know what it's like to walk in freedom. I want to know what it's like to walk in relationship with somebody who loves me to the very depth of my soul even after knowing everything I've done. That's Jesus. So if you want him, just invite him in right now. Just invite him in. He's good. He's good. He's good. Just say yes. Yeah, so Jesus, we invite you in. Yeah, just, just give him, just everybody, just for a minute, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Heal me. Deliver me. I am yours. And you are mine. Yeah. I know who he says I am. When you pray that prayer, he says, you're a son, you're a daughter. It's settled Completely. Totally, done. I do believe the Lord wants to heal a few folk today too. That would be good. Oh <laughs> Let me start with what, I, what I've been feeling because I, I, while we're in worship, I, I don't know honestly whether this is carpal tunnel or arthritis, but I felt um, a lot of pain down the tops of this left hand and on the right hand as well. And I, I, I don't know whether it's carpal tunnel or arthritis, but has anybody been having pain in, in your hands is that anybody here? Right here? Anybody else? Right over here? Right here? Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all need your hands healed. Yeah, stand up if that's you. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. If it, if you've got pain in your hands from arthritis or carpal tunnel, I want to I want to pray for you real fast in Jesus' name. We just release the authority of Jesus Christ that heals all sickness, all disease, all affliction. Yeah, you push back the devourer and you set everything straight by the authority of your word. I declare the blood of Jesus Christ over every person who stood and we just say be healed because he's good. Be healed because he's wonderful. Be healed because he loves you. Come on, test it out for a minute and see if anything changed. If it's changed, start waving at me. Right here's one. Right here's one. How about you? Is anything different? It hasn't acted up today. Well, you'll know later then, yeah. How about you? Same? Well, just take a second dose then. Yeah. Yeah, just give her more. Heal her right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Is it on your left hand more than anything? Your right? Okay. Okay, we just release healing right now in Jesus' name. Is it arthritis or carpal tunnel? What is it? Arthritis, yeah, we pray you straighten out joints, straighten out all that stuff in Jesus' name, yeah. Get rid of all that arthritic material and the calcification, all that stuff that happens. We just declare it, yeah, in Jesus' name, yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know, this might be a stretch, but I just kept hearing the word during worship with macular degeneration, is that anybody? I don't know. I've just thrown it out there as a big stab in the wherever. But I thought it was for somebody here today, macular or ocular, ocular degeneration, excuse me. I think that's what the word is. Doesn't make any more sense, ocular or macular. So there it is. Well, missed that one. Used to really bother me. I'd rather take a stab at something and go for the fence than to not say something and miss somebody being able to be healed. You know what I'm saying? The other thing is that happened a lot is that we'll throw out words of knowledge like that and it'll go fall completely flat. And then almost always there'll be, not always, but many times there'll be people come up and say, hey, you remember that word you gave about that thing? That was me. I said, why didn't you respond, you big dork? <laughs> Just make me stand up there and look like a fool. Oh, I felt stupid. I felt embarrassed. I said, me too. <laughs> Thanks. Will you pray for me? No. <laughs> no, I'm not that mean. I will. But, but it happens more often than you would think. So, but I really don't worry about it. I'm just going to throw stuff out there and see because I'm, I'm still learning and trying. Words of knowledge. Well, there you go. See there? That's what macular degeneration does. So stand up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm going to come whack you <laughs> just for making me wait. Yeah, Jesus, right now, right now. We, we just bless this eye in Jesus' oh. name. Yep, see there? Here he comes. More. More. more, 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 more. Just restructure the entire eye. Make that whole structure that I work that it's supposed to. Give her a brand new eye so that she doesn't have to worry about losing any vision or eyesight, any of that, in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Yeah. Yep. That'll be good for you. Would you pray for him too? Yeah. He's had a retinal damage and ever since he worked at three form. Both of his eyes was like bright red. Yeah, stand up for a minute. Yeah. It, yeah. It took at least two weeks for Yeah, yeah. In Jesus' name. Yeah. We just prayed no no long term damage from retinal. Yeah, in Jesus' name, more, 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 more. Here he comes. <laughs> That's good. It's really good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your name? Yeah, Dave. Dave? You're a wild hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw inside of you like the, the, um, the, the boldness of a, of a lion, honestly, inside of you. And uh, you're fiercely loyal to people. Um, Here's what the Lord says. He said, if you ever had to go into battle, you'd want him right beside you because he'd never, ever leave you. You're fiercely loyal. There's a high sense of justice inside of you that operates really, really strongly. It bothers you when other people are bullied and picked on, all that stuff. And uh, he said, you are an amazing, amazing son. He said, I'm really proud of you. You're a good, good son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you were to have a picture on on, on God's refrigerator, it's there. You know, if, if he's got a fridge, that's you know you know when we go to the refrigerator, it's like after, just the the compassion of our heart. We hold those people. He's he's got a pretty big refrigerator. We will admit that, but that's what I'm saying though. He said you're just really really wonderfully special to him. Yeah, you're a really good man. Yeah, yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everybody stand up for a minute. Let's do this. we got just a few minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. How many people want to just receive an impartation for more of his power, his authority, his love, all of that? Just put your hands out like you're going to receive a gift. That would be good. Yeah. Oh. And we just say more, Jesus. That you would satisfy the hunger and thirsting and longing of your people. Matthew 6.33 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so we declare what you said would happen when we hunger, that an infilling would take place. I pray for an impartation, an anointing, a a stirring up, if you will, of hunger and thirst for not just the knowledge of God, but for Jesus himself. Just begin to stir it up in this room so that people would begin to just really experience your love, your intimacy firsthand. For those who are afraid of intimacy, sorry. (laughs) You you just, you don't get more without going deeper. And so I pray that the Lord would even heal you where you have uh, relational heart connect issues where you're afraid to trust because you're just not wanting to release anything that deep to anyone. I just pray that you'd know that the Father already knows who you are and He loves you. And He is absolutely the protector of everything that you hold dear except sin. <laughs> you know, he, he just loves you with an everlasting love. And so I pray that you'd just be able to open wide and just say, God, I, I let you in. I let you in. I let you in. I let you in. We speak against an orphan spirit that wants to keep people isolated and separated from love. That says that there's not enough and that there's never gonna be enough. He says he is the God of more than enough, so I bless you with that, that you would just be able to receive everything that he has for you. Your good, God. Love on your kids today. Amen. Love on them with a power that just absolutely transforms. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah. So, um, what, we have our ministry team in the chat.